take you behind the scenes of the online magazine and deeper into the stories. I'm your host, Michael Shields, and today we are here to give some much-earned love to the federal agency and the people responsible for our national parks, monuments, and other historical properties, and that is the National Park Service. The National Park Service plays a dual role, first in protecting and maintaining the ecological and historical integrity of these places, but also in ensuring the extraordinary locales are accessible for public use for generations to come. Around 350 million people visit our national parks annually, and I would say that uh, our national parks, just how extraordinary they are, are one of the things that truly make this country so special. They give us so, so much. So to help me celebrate the National Park Service and the national parks in general, this episode features an interview with author... Dr. Gil Lusk, a person who has spent 35 years in the National Park Service and has received the Meritorious and Distinguished Service Awards from the Department of the Interior. Those are their highest awards for his work as a superintendent at Glacier, Big Bend, as well as a slew of other parks. Um, You'll be hard-pressed to find anyone who knows more about the National Park Service or someone who is more passionate about their importance and endurance. Um... Gil is the author of a book entitled National Parks, Our Living Treasure, A Time for Concern. It's a book that he describes as an honest and true rendering of an average employee giving unusual opportunities. His book acts as a comprehensive history of the Park Service and a behind-the-scenes look at its inner workings, and and it's also an in-depth examination of the many concerns the MPS faces moving forward. It's an excellent and informative read, and it was really it was a thrill to um, be able to d- discuss with Gil the important ideas that are within the book. And while we are here today to celebrate the grandeur of the parks, at the heart of this episode is a call to action and a warning that the park system faces many dire concerns. And we do dig into these dire concerns, these issues and concerns that the Park Service faces, whether it's politically, with the equality of staff and workers, um, in terms of what we... Americans value and so forth and it is worth noting that uh, this is a very timely episode and that the current administration has proposed cuts to the Department of Interior time and again which funds the National Park Service and the administration's disregard for these national treasures is highlighted by the decision just last week to divert 2.5 million in Park Service money to pay for Trump's military themed July 4th salute to America So, so As far as I see it, siphoning money used to enhance the visitor experience of the mall and at parks throughout the country is kind of, it's surely telling um, to their priorities and their concerns with the parks. So we do stand 
at a critical juncture in regards to the future of the parks. And this episode and, and Gil's book surely explains how and why and offers pragmatic ideas how to, uh, how to address all these, all these concerns facing the park service. So I um, think you're really going to enjoy the interview, this discussion. We, we you know, jump into a lot of topics. He's, he's been on the scene with the park service for, um, you know, it was almost four decades and been consultant since. And it's just, he's just a wealth of knowledge about this topic. So before we dive in, just a quick reminder that Across the Margin, the podcast is part of the Osiris Media Network. Osiris is a grouping of podcasts that give you a, you know, it's an eclectic mix of, of different podcasts that, that brings you face-to-face with topics that you love. Um, I'm thinking uh, in, this, in these times, we all, we all need a laugh. And so they have some great comedy podcasts. One uh, that I love is Amigos with Mike Fenoya. Um, Mike's an awesome guy. He's hilarious. Uh, he just brings on people to chat with each um, episode and it's just it's it's wholly entertaining uh there's another which is better with brad edwards sean perot and gary fletcher um they just pick uh they choose a topic and they kind of have a face-off thing and decide which which um item is better it's always hilarious and um while not necessarily um uh comedy podcast per se but Godwin Evan um, it's an exploration of the band Ween but it's hosted by four incredibly talented and funny uh, comedians and Katie Hartman Evan Kaufman Paul Gutkowski and Will Nunziata so that's where the laughs are at go get them um, and check out OsirisPod.com and uh, here we go let's get into this interview right now with Dr. Gil Lusk Gil Good, Gil. Yeah, excellent. Yes. Uh, thank you for making the time. Thanks for calling. Thanks for being a part of this. Well, delighted to do so. Fantastic. Um, I really, uh, well, just to dive in, I don't want to waste any of your time, but I really, um, I really enjoyed your book and learned a great deal from your book. And uh, if we could start out here, I was hoping you could talk um, today uh, about some of your vast experience. I, you know, before we kind of get into the parks and some of the issues they face and some of their grandeur, I just wanted to know a little bit more about you. So, uh You've had a vast experience in the parks. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it was an unusual 35 years. <laughs> um, I had an opportunity that many of our employees don't have in terms of the type of resources that I worked at mm-hmm. and the responsibilities that I had. Not many people have the opportunity to bring two new parks into the system. Not many people have an opportunity to work at both the Mexican border and the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. And those type of experiences um, allows you to really understand that the intricacies, uh, the needs for uh, cooperation and the needs for compromise and the needs for support as we move forward. Um, Ever since I joined the service in 1962, I mean, I joined because the Park Service was a vision, a vision of some very astute minds back in the 19. 1910 period and in that time uh, in 1916 the creation of the National Park Service uh, it was the Secretary of Interior and it was the Congress which put this all into place and and basically that was a partnership that lasted for a a number of years uh, 60 or 70 years but uh, based on the experience that I have uh, and the need that I have to see that vision 
continue. Yeah. Uh, the vision being that uh, we are, in effect, uh, preserving and moving into the future for the grandchildren uh, the beauties of the national parks, the history, the archaeology, the paleontology. Uh, these are things that should be moving forward, uh, not within an environment of political correctness, mm-hmm. not within an environment of being managed by the Congress or secretaries, mm-hmm. but being managed by professionals who are going to protect the resources. Early on, uh, I mean, not too early, but uh, in my later career, I I felt like uh, for a decade or two I was writing Rosinante and basically jousting at windmills Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the educational needs that our employees have. Um, When I was at Glacier, as an example, um, I, I found that uh, as I worked uh, there for eight years that our maintenance employees, for example, some of whom had worked there for 30 years and who lived in local communities, uh, had no training or understanding of what the vision was or what the National Park Service really was. And so what we, in effect, were doing uh, is we were sending people out into the community without understanding why our policies and regulations moved in certain directions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, to me, was inexcusable. Um, the people who work in the parks, they should understand the values of the park and what we're after. And, you know, we can argue about it, but I think back to the 1850s. Of course, I wasn't there at the mm-hmm. time. But in the 1850s, a little place called Grand Central Park was created. Mm-hmm. And if we look back at that, we look at it and we say, well, what was the value of that park at the time? Well, it wasn't very much. What's the value of that park today? Uh, It's an amazing value. And it's the same situation with the national parks, which I call our living treasures, because they are living treasures. Um, And again, when 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 you get put into positions of creating parks, not creating, but establishing parks, like at Valley Forge and Wolf Trap Farm Park, Mm -hmm. you are exposed to a range of politics and a range of, of, um, oh, I don't know, uh, attempts to influence that many people in the Park Service don't really see. They hear of, but they don't see it. Uh, And I got to see it and I got to feel it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is is much of what, what I'm involved with in terms of the vision. I look at the Smithsonian Institution, Um, I feel that at this point in time, the national parks and the values they contain uh, should not be in the hands of Congress or the executive branch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They should be in the hands of people who are interested in their values and who will protect those values. Mm -hmm. A Congress that has allowed us to sink down with a $12 billion deficit in terms of just working on infrastructure yeah. is, not a, is not a body that has us particularly in mind. And I, I just don't see us ruining the parks because of that. They're, they're too important to us. Yeah. And, you speak, and you're speaking of their, um, their value. I really, I really appreciated the chapter entitled A Window into Our Culture. And, um, you know, there's a section where you describe the parks uh, 
how they represent our uh, our report card as a species, and I love that idea. Um, Correct. And so, yeah, so can you speak on the, the value you see we get out of them um, um, some? Just kind of like, it, it just, it, you can tell your, how your passion for the parks. And I was wondering, you know, what you feel they give us as a, as a species in this way. Well, basically, they're, they're like safe deposit boxes, Michael. Oh, I like that, yeah. They are, they are our, safe, our safety deposit boxes. And if, if we can actually go forward for the next 50 years mm-hmm. uncaring for what's in those safety deposit boxes, uh, we have, we're, we're going to fail as a society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the vision calls for unencumbered. Uh, unencumbered is, you know, kind of a broad term, but even today... Uh, all of a sudden, we're talking about the Betsy Ross flag. Mm. Uh, we're talking about things like this that, to me, there is American history, and then there is politically correct American history. And I see more and more stuff being supported by industry and by others that is basically pulling apart the seams of American history. Uh, George Washington is no longer the founder of our nation. He's a slaveholder. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry. Um know uh, these things have to be interpreted within the context of history mm-hmm. not within the context of, of modern thought mm-hmm. and yet if that's what we're preaching to the young people today where are they going to go in the future mm-hmm. um, that's where the values begin to creep in and to see Yellowstone or Glacier or the Sequoia and to see them in their in their native form to see the, the species that are still relevant in those areas. Uh, how, how important is that? You know, at Glacier, I used to get a lot of complaints because I worked an awful lot in the community outside the park because I felt that was the turf that has a lot to do with the future of the park. Yeah. And I would often, I would often use the example of, you know, if, will the superintendent just stay in the park and run the park? Well, no, that's why we have assistant superintendents. Superintendents need to be involved in broader issues and broader visions. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if we were concerned about, uh, if we want the superintendent to stay in the park, how about we put a cyclone fence mm-hmm. with razor wire <laughs> totally around the park and just have gated entrances? How about we do that? And in 100 years, what are we going to have? We're going to have species that are totally ruined. We're going to have a have a natural environment that doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. We'll not have protected the park, but if we are involved in the community, if we are involved in working with the community, with the Forest Service, with state agencies, with local governments, uh, we can build an environment in which the park has a reasonable chance of protecting its species, mm-hmm. uh, protecting the, the the ways they have to move between uh, the parks and between other places. That's that's what our goal should be. And again, uh, today we we just have too many things getting in the way, in the way of some of these things, uh, including how we even train and develop our employees. Yeah, that's what I was um, kind of going to steer towards next. We, I mean, you have already touched on a lot of these problems, uh, um, you know, because your book does have the phrase "a time for concern." So. I was wondering if you can kind of talk a little bit about what the problems you see as uh, are that face them. I know we touched on politics a little bit. You're alluding to training here, our, our culture, 
uh, what are we up against? Well, basically, uh, what we're up against is a, an, an upper body that uh, should not be in control of the parks. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I've said that several times already. Please, but I think it's no, a good point I, here. Yeah. I, I look at the, I use an example of the Mona Lisa. Mm -hmm. if, if the Mona Lisa, which is a national treasure, an international treasure, was here in the United States, frankly, I would not want the Congress or the Secretary of Interior to have anything to do with it. Yeah, true. Because it's a treasure, and treasures need to be protected from political influence. Mm -hmm. Now, once we get down inside that, what we're looking at is $12 billion of need to basically uh, revitalize and repair the parks where we have some serious problems occurring. So the infrastructure of the parks is, is in your mind, pretty devastating overall. Well, it's, you know, it, they're not falling apart, okay. but there are problems out there that should have been corrected a long time ago. Mm -hmm. When you get to historic structures and archaeological sites, you, you really can't allow much influence there at all. Mm -hmm. You've got to keep up with them or you're going to lose them. So basically, um, it's very important that we get that under control and figured out in some fashion. Uh, we, uh, back in the 1950s, we, President, uh, President Eisenhower had created a program called Mission 66. Mm -hmm. Because of World War II and the Korean War, the parks were in pretty bad shape because obviously the national need was war and not parks. Well, when we get to that point, Eisenhower basically said, well, we, we was willing to re refurbish the parks through the Mission 66 program, which was a 10-year program beginning in 1956 to fund the parks, to give them a, a, a new, new breath of life. And that worked out pretty well. Today, what we're needing, in, in my view, is a Mission 33. Mm -hmm. Uh, another 10-year, which will allow us to basically deal with that $12 billion documented need, as well as uh, continue uh, operating the, the service. If, if that isn't going to be dealt with, then the things that I see are basically, uh, we need to start working on a national commission. Mm -hmm. We need to start prioritizing every park from one down to 483 mm -hmm. and do that in a meaningful way outside of politics and basically come to the point to say that if we're not going to get the money to refix, we're going to have to reallocate funds. And the way we do that is we begin to close those resources that are lowest in priority for reasons and also uh, begin to perhaps... Um, establish uh, limited resource, limited operations in other parks. But to begin correcting problems for the parks, significance to the nation. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing we need to do is to get Congress uh, away from creating new parks. Um, back when started, there was always a, a interest in, well, you know, what, what value do parks bring to us? We know that national forests bring timber. And they bring jobs. Uh, we know that the national parks are created, but you can't hunt in them, you can't uh, cut them, you can't mine them. So what's their value? Well, in the last 20 years, the value has been proven.
billion dollars a year that are being generated by national park sites in local communities. Yeah, through, through I mean, it's kind of like through the tourism industry. I think a number you mentioned for Glacier, and this was 1991, was 150 million to the local economy. Yeah. This is a big deal. Yeah, and it's 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 more huge now. And again, the Congress, individual congressmen have kind of picked up on that. Mm-hmm. So what's happening now? Parks are being created through Congress that are not what I would call of na- of national significance. They are regional or they are local in significance, but they don't belong in the National Park Service. Mm-hmm. So why are they there? Because of the economic development that comes from the parks. Yeah. And that's the wrong reason to be creating parks. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't even be on the it shouldn't be on the table. But it is. And so again, I think that Congress needs to establish a moratorium on the creation of new parks for a period of time. And yes, if there's one that's really national value, sure, it can go through. But we we don't have, I'm not aware of any process outside the Park Service in the political environment which established the criteria for what it takes to create a National Park Service area. Mm-hmm. So again, if we don't even have the criteria or know we can, you know, the politicians can can do a lot of things with that. So again, closure of parks, uh, reducing uh, services at some, uh, reallocating the resources that we have until until the Congress, under the present organizational pattern, starts to say, "Hey, we need to fund the Park Service." Mm-hmm. Allow allow entrance fees. Uh, entrance fees now, most of those fees are uh, are collected and are available to the park, but not all of them. Entrance fees and park and fees in parks should remain in the parks. They don't belong in the national budget. They don't oh, yeah. belong in yeah. the treasury. They belong in the parks. We go right back in. And we need to have, an, you know, it's over the decades, uh, there's been a lot of interest in we want the people to, to, to enjoy the parks. We want the people to have access to the parks. Absolutely correct. Uh, but we can't just give away when we can't maintain. Mm-hmm. There need to be there, there needs to be a reanalysis of the fee structure within the parks uh, and for many reasons to see about uh, maintaining more of those funds in the local environment, in the local park to offset some of our needs. Um, the, the, the Mission 33 program would require about $2 billion a year to make up the $12 billion that we don't have. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take some serious discussion. Um, the other thing that I would give Congress is, in the past, the design and architecture and engineering and construction services for new infrastructure and even for refurbishing infrastructure Mm -hmm. came from one of our central design centers and this emerged in the past because a lot of park areas back in the 19 early 1900s even the mid 1900s didn't have architects and engineers real close so there was a central office that did the design and so forth my my feeling is that architectural engineering and construction services as part of mission 66 mission Mm -hmm. 33 Mm -hmm would be acquired and contracted with the local region, the local region or area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would still have, uh, you know, involvement and we would still have control, but the facilities that we would be getting 
would be based on architecture and engineering from people who know the environment, from people who know the weather, and from people who know uh, basically what the, what the best kind of structure would be for the uh, position or the placement that we're talking about. Uh, that's another thought that uh, can perhaps help a little bit. Yeah, that's, um, these all sound incredibly pragmatic and um, crucial. Absolutely. And crucial. And then we have something called the Senior Executive Service. Mm-hmm. In my mind, what a deal this was. Uh, back in the 90s, actually it goes back kind of uh, earlier than the 1990s, but in the 1990s it became, it became the thing. The Senior Executive Service. Up until the Senior Executive Service, the managers, the superintendents of the major parks, Yellowstone, Glacier, Everglades, Great Smokies, were limited to, in a great structure, to GM-15, that's General Manager 15, mm-hmm. uh, which had an, a salary level. Uh, at that time, it was a little less than $100,000. And basically, the Senior Executive Service came along, and, and uh, the big parks, kind of some of the superintendents out there and some of our regions said, hey, what a deal this is. Um, we not only will have a, an increase in our, if we qualify, which we can do, mm-hmm. we'll have an increase in our salary uh, of, uh, you know, thirty or 40000 and we're capable of getting an annual uh, uh, bonus mm-hmm. in addition to that. Wow, what a deal. Well, what came with the deal? What came with the deal is the fact that the bonus and the selection is being done by secretaries of interior, not mm-hmm. by the director. Mm-hmm. And the bonuses are coming from the uh, department. They're not coming from the National Park Service. They're not being they're not being professionally done. They're being done politically. Mm-hmm. We've had at least a, a handful of superintendents uh, since that program came in that have been either resigned, removed, relocated, or done in with. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from where it's coming from the secretary's office. And this is not a uh, one side of the aisle issue. This is a two side of the yeah, aisle type issue. Absolutely. The the fact is that um, the first the first job the first uh, ish, well let me see the first example of senior executive service back in the mid nineteen nineties was a major I think it was a regional officer who is basically reassigned to the Bureau of Mines. See, the secretary has that authority as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from that, uh, just recently, uh, not within the past uh, many months, a superintendent of Yellowstone uh, retired rather than playing the game. Um, this is how far down we now are in terms of political dealings. Yeah. Yeah. And believe me, uh, it is not a a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I mean, you know, more and more as I dug into your book, the idea of divorcing uh, politics and pulling that away from it was, uh, I mean, it just sounded so, so important, and as you just stated, but another thing that um, is very important that you discussed in your book is kind of the culture, what we see. I really love the chapter about the process of uh, Gaia, um, and you discuss a change in worldview that is necessary. Um what changes that you're that that you're alluding to there? Well, it's uh, basically we're going to hear more and more about eco regions and bioregions. Sure. Uh, we're going to, I hope, we eventually get around to talking about more 
partnerships and working with other federal agencies mm-hmm. and state agencies in terms of how we manage within an ecosystem mm-hmm. or, an e- or a bioregion. Um, we have, I've been involved with working on two concepts, one uh, at Big Bend and one at Glacier. At, at Glacier, uh, I spent eight years talking about uh, the Continental Divide ecosystem. Uh, that has more morphed into the Y2Y program, the Yellowstone to the Yukon. Um, as a federal manager, I knew that whatever I said wasn't going to be carried forward. But at one point near the end as I was moving out, I had the pleasure of working uh, with a, I was speaking to a Canadian group at Waterton of uh, parks and conservation people and talking about the idea, and, and a fellow out there, and I think I've mentioned this in the book, just lit up and, and he has he has pursued it and, and gotten the Y2Y program going. Mm. Well, that's an example of how we should be thinking in general terms when we're managing natural resources. Mm-hmm. We should be thinking in terms of uh, what's available to us. Uh, if, we, if we think outside the box, what can we create? What can we do? Yeah. Um, and a lot of that, uh, obviously will face political concerns mm-hmm. and, and other factors. Uh, but uh, we need to start making that change. That's a cultural change that isn't going to occur in my lifetime. Yeah. But if we can't start talking about it, uh, we're, we're behind the eight ball. The reason that I wrote the book in the first place okay. is that it, books about the National Park Service yep. are basically coffee table books. Mm-hmm. Just uh, they are pretty pictures. They're lovely. Uh, they they excite one about National Park Service as they should. Uh, there then there are those books that talk about fire and search and rescue mm-hmm. and other aspects from professionals. Yep. But there's no book that, in my in my perhaps uh, arrogant little mind, <laughs> that really talks about. Um, the concerns that we should be having right now as a public uh, for what's happening in the National Park Service and what's happening to the treasures. And that's the reason the book is out there. It's not going to have any effect. Uh, it's going to continue to be a Rosinante-type process. Mm-hmm. But if we can get this out there in, and into the, into the language, yep. if, we can, if we can stimulate the right people, there's a chance that maybe in five or six or seven or ten years, things can begin to change. Yeah. If, if we don't simulate, if, if we don't try and move some of this forward, yeah. what's happening is just going to continue to happen. I, 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 ha- I personally believe, and I have, no, I have no proof of what I'm saying, yeah. I personally believe that the, the passion that I saw in my career for from employees for working in the parks, the passion for their protection of resources, their passion for understanding the resource. I really believe that in the last 20 or 25 years, there has been so much influence coming in that the passion is ebbing. Oh, it's that's it's just, not that's what it was. That's entirely disheartening. And, you know, it, we, we, that's a huge loss to yeah. us. Um, we now, you know, it's, we're down now to 18, roughly 18,000 employees, mm-hmm. uh, part, you know, full, uh, FTE employees. And, and that's down about 10,000 from 
back in when I had when I was in my career. And but what we do have is 220,000 volunteers. And when I enter in a park now, in my past, I would have expected to see an employee who had knowledge of the resource that yeah. was refined and 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 very very specific. Now I, I enter into national park resources across the country, and I'm meeting a volunteer. Now, don't get me wrong; volunteers are critical oh, yeah. to to the parks. Mm-hmm. That's very important. But what's happened is that the lower grades, the seasonal employees, we've lost. We're losing them, and those are the people who really used to be the face of the park service. Yeah. And to me, that is a part of the passion loss. It's a part of, you know, what what we can't afford to, to, to keep losing. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, That's unless we can, yeah. Oh yeah, I was just saying that's. I'm sorry to interrupt oh. you. That's that's entirely disheartening. And just you know, because in that way, it can almost kind of crumble from the inside if you don't have that passion. You know, at the heart of it, uh, it's 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 a huge, huge problem. I um, I was thinking about something you wrote towards the end of the book that just, I mean, just absolutely terrified me. The uh, I think you wrote, "We will soon see like prisons." We, which you just presented the possibility, parks that are uh, contracted out to private firms to run, and that just kind of, I mean, that breaks my heart, that idea. Well, you know, it's, uh, how does a politician solve a problem? Well, there's a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. but one of the ways is that instead of uh, objecting to the taking of a historic uh, hotel in Yosemite Valley called Awani, and allowing a concessionaire to rename it the Majestic, uh, I, I often use Glacier is an example. We have a lake there called Lake McDonald yeah, and a Lake McDonald Lodge. Mm-hmm. I I think we, uh, you know, as a politician, I think I could probably get about five million dollars uh, for the for the park by yeah. simply calling it Lake McDonald's yep. Lodge. Yep. Now that's those are things that are starting to open up, and we've got to close them off. Yeah, the parks significant. are not for sale. They are not for uh, you know private consumption. They're not. You know, we, 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 we're supposed to be operating at a different standard than state parks and local parks. Uh, all very important, but our standards, uh, our protection elements and our policies are far more sophisticated and far more difficult to deal with. Yeah. Uh, and we can't lose the ability to deal with them, and we can't lose the ability to simply object when we see something going wrong. Yeah. Uh, at Valley Forge, I spent about uh, three years uh, working on a, uh, as was required, a new uh, a new general management plan for the new park that was coming into the Park Service. And uh, basically, uh, one of the things I was working on was what do we need to finish the park in terms of land acquisition or easements or other factors to protect it from the urban environment in which it finds itself. So I spent, uh, I can't tell you how many hundreds of hours working with neighbors, working with owners, uh, creating an environment in which we could put a package forward to the Congress, which basically uh, brought in the things that needed to be brought in, Mm -hmm. did not create any warfare, did not create any problems. It was a very positive program, 
and people willing. So basically now we're getting ready. Uh, I get a call. It's ready to go into congressional hearings. And uh, basically, uh, I know that the Congress uh, has favorably looked at this in the past and has and have and have as have others. So I get called to come into Washington for the hearings and I go in and I'm I'm sitting down in the direct in the director's office uh, who isn't there, but the deputy director is. Mm -hmm. And we're starting uh, we're going up to the hill at 10. And so we're starting to just talk about the meeting. And the deputy director looks over and he say, and he tells me, and you're going to testify against the bill. And I said, hell no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, and no. we went around uh, the bar about three times. Yeah. And finally, the political staff who were there finally said, hey, you know, if you don't, if, if the secretary of interior says we're going to oppose this, don't just make sure that he does me doesn't get called to testify. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm called to testify, I'm testifying for it. I'm not Absolutely. testifying against it. Wow. You must have and seen some so, ugliness within the, the politics throughout, you know, all those 35 years. That's incredible. Yeah. And so, again, I didn't get called. I sat there mm -hmm. and uh, they and uh, the deputy testified against it, as he was directed to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but the bill passed anyway. And uh, but it was just staggering uh, that that could happen. And. These are the things that have been going on. Yeah, needs to be addressed. I love another thing you talked about, too, was kind of the changing of language, um, you know, kind of talking about how we even talk about our resources and our earth. Uh, there was a line, you know, how we cannot own um, what is not mine um, to <clears throat> own, which is the earth. And then you were even talking about uh, adjusting our pronouns when we talk about this, uh, our resources and our, our parts from I, me, and mine to we, are and ours. So yeah, the, the way people look at parks is very important as well. Yes, absolutely. And again, uh, uh, I'm coming back to economic development. Mm -hmm. A lot of communities that were really uh, using they and them mm -hmm. are now starting to talk about we and us because they see the value of Fantastic. the parks. And, and they're now more willing to say, okay, well, we can't hunt there and we can't mine there mm -hmm. and we can't cut timber there, but there's $30 billion a year coming into the marketplace right. and we can't turn our backs to that. Absolutely. Uh, so, so that that certainly helps the, the change in pronouns, but yeah, that, yeah. that has to happen. Every little bit. So yeah, speaking of help and to kind of wind us down here, um, what can anyone listening do personally, I mean, it, to kind of push these... Uh, you know, this is a we we laid out a bunch of different and varying concerns, but I mean, if someone's to listen and want to help and act, uh, do you have any advice there? Well, I, I, the only advice that I can offer is that uh, we're we're needing to there needs to be a groundswell occurring in the nation. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't have to start out big, but yeah. there need to be concerns being raised with congressional representatives and, mm -hmm. and senatorial staff about the parks and about their problems that they're facing uh, to let them know that um, you know hey this is uh, this is something that why the, why the heck aren't you paying attention to this um, then there can be individuals who have who have an ability to organize and have an ability within organizations mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. to create an atmosphere to create a, mo a motion or a movement um, that's very important to our future as well uh, I 
I would love to see uh, a lot of people really talking about a national commission to evaluate and, and review a non-political national commission to really look at the Park Service and determine its future and what it needs to meet our, our vision. Yeah. Um, that, to me, oh, is a, a very important part of the future, which has to come from the people. It, it, it's not going to come from me or you, but it can come from the people who are, who are simply concerned. Yeah. And the, we need that concern. It needs to be there. Well, I mean, you're doing your part here with this uh, with this book and our, this discussion and us spreading the word. I mean, you're, you're, these discussions and, 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 you know, these these ideas need to be known. So thank you for that. It really, it's an excellent book. It's, a, you know, it's got a comprehensive history of the parks and then, you know, does a great job with like a heady and important examination of the problems. And, you, you know, you're also offering solutions. It's really, I'm, I'm really glad to... Uh, discuss the book and spread the word about it. So thank you for that, and thank you for your time. Michael, thank you very much. I really appreciate your help. Absolutely. Thanks, Gil. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.